Podcast of the Cinema. You're Dave White. I'm uh, Alonzo Duralde. Yeah. We are both film critics. I uh, co-host other podcasts. You do. We are married to each other. It's true. And I, I know that we're married to each other, but I would like to invite a third into our relationship. Oh? Yes. I want to be a thruple with... That leftover casserole on the counter. Oh, society is not ready for our love. The one that's, it's the minute we finish talking about this. Let's let's just make this a 20 minute podcast. (laughs) Just know while you're listening, what we're really thinking about (laughs) is casserole. We're going to put that thing into the Kelly Clarkson oven. Yes. And then kick back with our, our new lover. (laughs) J.K. JK Living. Perhaps you're curious about the contents of this casserole. I know that this is a podcast of the cinema. Yes. Y'all made a church? (laughs) Pot luck? You know they make those casseroles with the ground beef and the macaroni and cheese and the more cheese? Tomato sauce. Tomato sauce. It's all up in there in one glop in the casserole dish. Very hot. Very delicious. Proud to serve it. It's it's the hot dish that built America, I like to think. Yeah. Um, it's all because, the, once again, it is actually all because of Kelly Clarkson. True. I mean, the, the oven is from Kelly Clarkson. Yes. But the so is the meat. Yeah. <laughs> they sent us. Let us thank the founder of the feast, Kelly Clarkson. They sent Clarkson. us... Uh, in the in the free meat box from Butcher Box, they sent us uh, ground sirloin. Yes, which sounds better than it, it sounds might be. like you're getting something very fancy, and I guess technically you are if yeah. you're a fan of lean Things. ground beef. Um, but I I want to explain to y'all. I know this should be a topic for linoleum knife and fork, and I suppose we'll touch on it. Although after. After this in-depth conversation, I don't see the point. And you'll want to go to our Patreon page if you want that show. The um, That is where the flavor is. That's correct. If you go to the grocery store and you get, I'm, I'm telling y'all some extra detail in addition to cinema wisdom. You, if you are a meat eater and you go to the grocery store and you get ground beef. For a meatloaf. Don't get ground sirloin. Get the ground beef that has the most fat in it. Because mm-hmm. that is what makes it taste delicious. Now, ground sirloin has like 10% fat. Which is not enough fat. No. Hence, it needs to be doctored up and put into a casserole like this. Our local so butcher that shop. extra fat and cheese and, you know, stuff around Glop it. Glop and glorp. Yeah. Our local butcher shop, the fattiest ground beef they sell 
is named for legendary world-renowned chef Nancy Silverton. <laughs> yeah. It has her seal of approval. It's the kind she asks for. So they started making it for mass consumption, and they named it after her. So That's correct. Take it from someone who knows. Mm-hmm. The more fat in your ground beef, the yummier it will be. I would like to uh, stop recording this podcast right now and say goodbye. <laughs> I don't know what, what you were thinking. It's about time for us to love. Prompting casserole and then, oh, no, no, let's do a show first. Oh, uh, what? The reason we have to do a show first is because it's not dinner time yet. <laughs> Dang it. It will be. Details. It will be soon, though. Fine. Let's talk about cinema. Um. So, uh, it's been two beautiful years of hiding from the public. Yeah. And with with, with, with with few little with you know, some vaccination breaks before yeah. in between variants exactly. Um, and I'm going to go back to my very first press screening with you. Yeah, uh, it's my first one since next in, week, like November or early December. What was the last one you did in November? West Side Story. West Side Story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's your first one since 2020. It's my first one since like The Invisible Man, maybe. The Invisible Man. It's not that's not the last movie I saw no. before the pandemic kicked in. Um, but the last press screening I went to was The Invisible Man. The yeah. last movie I saw in a theater was three days before uh, I got sick. Um, so Bertrand Bonello's or is it Bonello? He's French. Spells with two L's. You help me out. I think, it, it, well, it, is he, but is he French? or is uh, he, That's my understanding, yeah. Then I guess it's Bonello. Anyway, he's a zombie child. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that was it. Saw that at the Lumiere mm. at the musical. Uh, and then next day started feeling run down, sluggish, <laughs> coughing-esque. Yes. Uh, my, my last movie in a theater before it all went down was was First Cow yeah. on the preview Thursday on March 5th. And then March 6th, I took you to urgent care. That's right. Because I needed care. And we, uh, <laughs> Urgently. We, we got a one-week jump on everybody else staying at home. Right. Uh, but here I go, back into a press screening. I mean, that is if they say yes. Like, they, <laughs> they sent you the invite, and then you're like, oh, yeah, Dave White's coming, too. He's going to help me review this movie on KCRW and crickets crickets from them. But you know what? We'll work it out. Don't they know who I am? I, right? <laughs> Just because I haven't been to a press greeting in two years doesn't mean I'm not a professional. Yeah, I'd say you're not alone in that. I was just professionally not going anywhere. <laughs> Anyway, I guess I'm ready. You can do it. Yeah. I I believe in you. Not going to have any. I posted a little Twitter about it. A little picture of Isabelle Huppert. No snack, no drink, no food. Only cinema. Only cinema. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because that's how that's going to be. I would also further like to not be known when I'm there. Like, <laughs> like I don't really, I'm not into a whole bunch of people I haven't seen in two years coming up to me and being like, Dave, you know, like maybe they've forgotten who I am and then I can skulk about. Well, you'll, you'll already be behind a mask. So maybe we'll I put wear a wig sunglasses on sunglasses and a hat. 
and then a hat on top of the hat. Look, just people come up to you, hold your elbow out, let them do the the elbow touch with you, and that will be your hug. Now, here's what's going to happen. They're going to walk up to me, and I'm going to hold up my arms completely at full length and say, No! My body! (laughs) The the people miss you, then, And then then give a big, like, kick in the air. (laughs) They have been deprived of your of your company for so long. They will not be able to help themselves, but want a, a Dave moment. I suppose that's all right. I don't know. You have deprived the world <laughs> of no, all this. No, you know what? The world deprived me of a whole bunch of things. Well, yeah, that too. So, uh, and now I'm used to it. That's the worst part. <laughs> It's so comfy now. Yeah. It, I mean, it is. So, anyway. Are we talking about movies? Let's. Hey, we saw Scream, finally. We did. Uh, we, we paid to, to watch it the day it dropped on digital, March 1st, only to discover that one week later, it dropped on Paramount+. Plus, Which you also have to pay for. Well, yes, but. You know, we have it. We have it. We're covering we that pay front. It. We pay it. We pay for it. Mm. Um, the... Uh, which one is this? Which scream is this? Is Technically, this the fifth? five. It's the fifth scream. But they call it Scream because Wasn't there that's a scream what we're doing TV now. show. Or there was, was that... also a scream TV show. Yes. Okay. In fact, we know people who worked on it. Oh yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, my mind is also going. Uh, okay, so the new scream comes along, and everyone's getting murdered again. Because that's what you do. In the town of Woodsboro. Yes. There's a new killer. Mm-hmm. We're in the ghost-faced mask. And the new killer is patterning uh, themselves. Is it one person? Is it two persons? Three? Who, who knows? Are, who are these persons? We're not saying. Because, you know, OG screamed it was two dudes. It's true. Uh, and so this... Time around, they are uh, rebooting the murders. Yes. And and they're very specifically, you know, toying with everybody in the town, uh, sort of mimicking stuff, calling out stuff from back. If if, if a serial killer could come with Easter eggs... This is the the one. The the character who is clearly stepping into the Jamie Kennedy shoes as the, you know, super um, in-the-know movie nerd who explains the rules of things to everybody. Is Jasmine Savoy Brown. Yes, I was going to say, played this time by Jasmine Savoy Brown. Um, who has a twin brother from in the, the Leftovers, film, yes. by Mason Gooding. Yes. And... She explains that they're having, that they're in a requel. I... I is that something that people actually talk about? Uh, well, I've heard like reboot quill before. Because uh, I'll tell you what I do on Twitter. Uh-huh. You don't pay attention to On anything. film Twitter, I block and I mute. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, I, and I have topics. You know when they suggest topics for mm-hmm. you? I click no on the topic <laughs> and the topic goes away forever would you like to hear more about the dc extended universe no would you like to know more about different franchises and the discussions surrounding franchises no 
So yes, requel is a th- it conceptually has been a thing that's been floating around for a while because you get movies like uh, the recent Shaft that was called Shaft. It was actually the third sort of overhaul of Shaft, where yeah. it's the grandson and the of the worst of the original shafts. character, the very worst of the Shafts. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's been a thing lately where you take these kind of franchise properties and you start them over, but you also pick up where you left off. So like. Yeah. The, the way that the um, the David Gordon Green Halloween movies skip everything after the first Halloween movie and just hop right back in. Um, this one, it takes everything except for the TV show, I think, as yes. canon. Yes. Uh, yeah, it lives in the world where the other screams happened, and yeah. then as did the fake stab the movies. stab movies, exactly, yeah. yeah. And that that's a whole other rabbit hole. <laughs> But you know they they're definitely they're still they're working the the meta thing which goes all which is in the DNA of this entire franchise. Yeah. So we, they brought back the directors. I forget what they're they 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 operate under a collective name, uh, but it's Tyler Gillette and Matt uh, Bettinelli Open who previously directed Ready or Not, which right. is a movie I liked quite a bit, um, and written this time by James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick, and. Um, yeah, it's a scream movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, down to uh, bringing back like the 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 three players you always expect to see in a scream movie: Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette. Yes, uh, there is even throughout the course of the film a a a, a meta on meta commentary about the marriage of Courtney Cox and David Arquette. <laughs> yes, which, true. Um, is itself, you know it wasn't a thing that they talked about in these films, but now it's, it is. Um, And, 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 and as to anticipate its own backlash, the stab franchise has hit a wall to the point where they've done a stab eight that they just call stab. Right. Yep. But the fans don't like it and the fans are mad about it. And are any, before we talk about, what we think about this movie are any scream diehards uh, like I know I just told you that I don't pay attention to any of these conversations intentionally mm-hmm. uh, but I I assume that you have heard through the the internet grapevine what the scream diehard fans think about this latest uh, situation so why don't you tell me in 10 words or less mostly in favor oh okay all right but I think Scream is one of those franchises that even if you, you could collect together 20 people who say, oh, I love the Scream movies, yeah. and then ask them to rank them, and you'll get very different answers. Like, are they angry people? Because uh, so many fans are just rage-filled human beings not of the, various franchises, not, and that's one of the reasons why I have no interest in, yeah, that, not in, the, in learning the, about their conversations. Not in the Star Wars DC way, I don't think. Okay. Because I because I think what's what's built in about these movies is even sort of making fun of the idea of getting too into them and taking them too seriously. Right. Um, I mean, fan culture really is is you know takes a beating in this one in a lot of different ways. Um, Deservedly so. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. Absolutely. They had it coming. Um, 
you know, but but like for example, there are Scream Three apologists, and I am one of them. There are Scream Three uh, detractors. You, you don't need to de- you don't need to defend anything uh, where Parker Posey shows up. Well, even the detractors of Scream Three will acknowledge the Parker Posey scenes are great. They're still very <laughs> mad about that Jay and Silent Bob cameo. Um, you know, I thought Scream Four was fine, but there are people who just think it was the nadir of Western civilization. So you, just, uh, you, you never know what you're gonna get. I'm not a big fan of Scream Two. Um, uh, uh, just because I think, it, you know, part of that movie's tortured history was that like script pages got leaked on the internet, so they had to change the ending, and it didn't make as much sense as the first better ending oh, that they couldn't use anymore. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> uh, so, uh, people are killed. Yes. And it's a guessing game, mm-hmm. and uh, people do really dumb things, and then also situations happen that would never happen in uh, real life, like the empty hospital, like the empty hospital, which is straight out of Halloween too. And yeah. I think that's kind of an intentional uh, yeah. thing as well. I think everything with these movies, anything that you want to sort of pick at as being something that's dumb or nonsensical, yeah. there's a there's an antecedent that they're yes. referencing. Yeah. Know? So the. Um, you know, it's got it's got uh, a bunch of young people that you've seen before. Jack Quaid, who looks exactly like his father. Yeah. Uh, Dylan Minnette from... Who's 35 and is always... He's going to play 16 for the rest of his life. <laughs> Dylan Minnette from, from 13 Reasons Why. And we just saw him in something else, too. Uh, I don't know. Huh. Marley Shelton. Skeet Ulrich. Yes. As a ghost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Uh, Heather Matarazzo, which is a wonderful, uh, you know, always wonderful to see her. Uh, Melissa Barrera, who was one of the uh, the, the shining lights of uh, In the Heights, yeah. is the, maybe she's the final girl, question mark? Maybe. She also might be the murderer. Also that. Yeah. So, uh, this is a sequel of a franchise that I have always basically enjoyed yeah that i don't have enough invested in uh, on any level Mm. to get that deep into it or to defend or attack it's like Um, what you always say about star wars and marvel movies i I feel them i enjoy them and then i don't think about them until the next one comes out i think that i am in some ways uh you know lazy uh as a critic in when it comes to stuff like this, mm-hmm. when it comes to what I consider, you know, uh, giant corporate filmmaking, yeah. If if I am, I, I become that person who walks up to the to the box office and looks up at the <laughs> at the showtimes and goes, "What is? What do I want? What starts next? What starts next? <laughs> like that's." That's how much I sort of turn myself off mm. uh, when I go into films like the Marvel movies, like the Star Wars films, like lots of horror franchises. Um, I'm just there to uh, eat candy. And well, I think sometimes that's fine. One could argue that the sequely franchise series kind of movies are candy anyway. Right. That, you know, yeah, there, there are fans who, who get very deep on them and more power to them if they want to, as long as they're not being jerks about it. But 
you know, you are you are treating these movies as the generally disposable entertainment that they are, and you're saving your art glasses for, you know, stuff that needs me to have put on a, a think. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I, I don't think that our not knowing like the names of the spaceships in Star Wars makes a big <laughs> me, means that we're not doing our job as film critics. And I'm not slamming people who do know the names of that stuff. If that's the thing that gets you excited, great, go for it. But, I would like it if someone listening who knows the names of the spaceships oh, off, we, the, we know off people, the top of their head. We have very good friends who know, know the no, names of the no spaceships. No cheating, no going to look it up. Top of your head, spaceship names from Star Wars. I would like to know who you are because um, they're in our life already. <laughs> really? Yes. Tom? Yes. <laughs> A friend of ours. He's been um, on the show. <laughs> he uh, uh, he knows the he's, names. He's of the come spaceship? on the show to talk about Star Wars. In fact, yes, he knows all that stuff. All right. He is steeped in the lore. Tell me the name. I need to know the name. All right. Any everyone except Tom. <laughs> I need to know the names of the spaceships. Not that I'm ever going to remember them. No. But I'm just, I, I find it delightful when people do get into minutiae. Sure. Um, but I'm just not going to. Yes. And I, and I don't think not doing that means you aren't doing what you're yeah. supposed to be doing. Please. That's all I'm saying. There are so many, there are so many films out in the world that do not need the level of scrutiny that I have given them. <laughs> that do not need me to like throw out all the fun facts I can uncover about them. And you know which ones I'm talking about because you're the recipient of those fun facts. <laughs> Indeed. Hey, did you know blah 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 <laughs> Stella Stevens? Like it's it's and, and we I can all point, have our I say I can throw no kind of no stones in this glass house. But, um <laughs> so anyway, the the new scream It's fun. Scream five. The I, five the five scream is uh entertaining. Some good suspense. People didn't, get killed. I didn't entirely predict who the killers is are were. There are some good uh point of impact uh deaths. Blunt force trauma. A couple of those. Which always makes me happy. Mm. Um, the more murdery the murders, the happier I am. There's a lot of good knife foley in this movie. A yeah. lot of zing and yeah. like stabby things. And whoosh. And chop. That's an onomatopoeia, by the way. Chop. <laughs> um, and I was pleased with... How do I say this? The emotional content of the three old timers who show up. Yes. I like them. All three of them make me happy when I see them in the Scream movie. I find that their exhaustion is really palpable. <laughs> Again. Well, I don't think they're exhausted with being in the movies. I think that they're no, the, char the characters are exhausted. And with they, they, these three are really putting in performances. Yes. And so, you know, the kids in these films are running around going, "Ah, I'm being chased and chopped up." You know, like, but, but the, the grown folks, the survivors, yeah. are, you know, are here and are like, oh, uh, more, more murders. Why? <laughs> On the I'd why say, must 
Come on, kids. On, on the spectrum of bringing back the original stars, this is far closer to Rita Moreno in the West Side Story remake than the David Hasselhoff and Pam Anderson cameos in the Baywatch movies. Boo. That's, yeah. <laughs> Those are the extremes. Those are. They are definitely, they, they, are they, very they, are tending, much. they are tending Rita in this. Yeah. So when did this open in theaters? Was it like January? January. Okay, so we're, hey, we're, we're two months behind. And now we're here. We're here with Scream. <laughs> and when Moonfall becomes available, we're totally watching that. Is it maybe not already available? It's not. Oh, I no, I've been looking. Have you been looking? Yes. But when will it be streaming? I don't know. There was a big piece on Slash Film today about how the, the hugely expensive failure of Moonfall sort of bodes... It's the thing that people write every time this happens. It bodes well for non-IP franchise, blah, blah movies, you know, trying to get people into theaters for things that they don't already know going in. But, you know, it, April. Was, it was released during, uh, you know, the height of Omicron. So April. maybe that. <clears throat> April. April. Okay. April. Yeah. That's a whole month away. It is. What? What if the world actually comes to an end before that? <laughs> what happens then? Look, I'm just I'm still mad that we didn't get to see it in IMAX. Is it playing in any theater in Los Angeles right now? I'm guessing not, but I could be wrong. I'm going to look that up right now. Okay. Um because I it would be funny. Cuz that's we, an empty house we can be assured of, I think. Oh, uh, no, it is, but it's only at like 10 o'clock at night everywhere it is. Oh, boo. Yeah. So that's, I guess, April it is. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Oh, no, no. There's some, there's some uh, morning screenings oh, uh, really? this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I would be down. Uh, you know, uh, we'll get, we'd have the place to ourselves. We would totally have the place to ourselves. Yeah, well, let's, let's think of, let's see if maybe it can work. Okay. You know, uh, because I do uh, want to see the moon fall onto the earth. Indeed. And incidentally, if everybody, if any, if anyone is waiting for our review of the Batman, um, Alonzo is going to go see it at a movie theater cinema uh, next, next week. I'm going to find a Batman. I am not, and here's why I am not. Um, three hours in a theater chair right now mm. uh, is more than my terrible back and legs can deal with these days. Uh, that is a situation that has been developing uh, over the past, you know, pandemic time. Is there a theater and, chair in this city that would do Oh, there right? is. There is. The Grove. Mm. Those seats that are up top at the big main house, those big the wide. The Statler and Waldorf seats? The, no, 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 no. The, the, well, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. But the ones even further up as well. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Gotcha. Like those I know I could deal with, but... The problem is just sitting for three hours in sure. general is going to be a killer. So even an AMC recliner? No, those are terrible. Okay. Yeah, those are awful. Oh, I like those. Well, that's a... Your body and my body are different I, bodies. I, I understand you see. that. So, um, yeah, I'm having a sitting for a long duration uh, problem in my life these days. So... I know I could probably handle a, the a, 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 re, a regular ninety-minute to two-hour film like the one we're going to go do a press screening of, mm -hmm. but three hours and the trailers, yeah, and the ads. 
you're on your own, Alonzo Duralde, and you will come back and you will review the film yes, for this podcast I eventually. Will. And then eventually it'll stream and I'll watch it and then I'll do a little coda. Yeah. Uh, and besides, do y'all actually give one flying damn about what I have to say about the Batman? You don't. You don't. You care about what the comic book king over here across oh, the table I'm... from me cares and says about it. I have long abdicated that throne. It doesn't matter. You grew up with this stuff. You've invested yourself into it. And you are uh, an articulate spokesperson for the bat lifestyle. (laughs) Especially when you do the bat dance. Just for me. (laughs) The Batusi. So, um, yeah. It doesn't matter if I see the Batman uh, in a a timely way. You will, and you'll be right about whatever you say about it. And I'll eventually see it, and I'll I'll come back, and I'll say, uh, yeah, what Alonzo said. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. So we're super far behind in reviewing Scream, but we are early-ish because it drops uh, in 48 hours. Yes. Turning red. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it it wasn't about me, and so I didn't <laughs> like it. Oh, God. <laughs> Ouch. That guy. Man. Uh, now, here's, here's what I am down for on film Twitter. Dragging a knucklehead. <laughs> when a knucklehead comes along and gives you his knucklehead review... And 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 is so blatantly out showing his ass to the world, and everyone drags him and drags him and drags him and drags him. A a guy whose name I cannot remember right now because I've never heard of him until this week, and I will forget about his existence. Wasbio Wonderbread, I forget his name. Yeah, <clears throat> came out with a review of Turning Red that was the dumbest thing. Because I did read the main pull quotes. From yeah. It. The dumbest thing I've seen on the internet in, well, days, because it's only a few sure. days between super dumb things. It definitely falls in that category of saying the quiet part out loud. Like, I've never seen a white male film critic just come out and say, this movie isn't about white men. How am I supposed to relate to it? Okay, so what you mean is dummies who are not adept at hiding the fact that their that their distaste for the film is really about them being a dummy. No, I mean so often when you get people complaining about like oh your all female ghostbusters reboot. I get it. Or your that, ma- that makes sense. Yeah, any yeah. of that stuff. Like the, they say they say everything else is wrong with it except the fact that it's the all female ghostbusters. Exactly. Okay. The, the subtext yeah. is really how can I relate to this? But yeah, okay, so this guy just came right out and said Exactly. This is about a 13-year-old uh uh Chinese girl in and, Toronto. And how am I supposed to what what's in it for me? Basically, yeah. Oh my god! Which well, then that person shouldn't be a film critic because the thing about kind of not, and and nor should he be watching any movies at all because <laughs> he he missed the point of it all. Watching the thing about movies, the thing about film, the thing about art, cinema, about art, about a book, a a, a music, yes. A TV. A theater. (laughs) The world is so big. 
And there's so much stuff. It's filled with stuff. Yeah. And filled with billions of people who are not like you. Who are also kind of interesting Don't if you, you actually listen to, to them. Don't you want to know things? <laughs> Don't you want to know things? Things you don't know. Don't you want to be privy to conversations that never happen that will never in your happen. presence? Yes. Like, why? who? I understand that there are people in the world who lack curiosity. They don't generally write about the arts. But I don't understand why they think they get to speak in public. (laughs) (sighs) Did he he miss the whole My Big Fat Greek Wedding phenomenon and how very popular it was even among non-Greek people? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so. Turning Red. This is a Pixar film. Yes. Uh, that means it's animated. It's from Domi Shi. She won the Academy Award for her short film, Bao. Yes. Uh, a couple of years ago. Yes. Uh, Which is, I think, generally acknowledged as one of one of the great Pixar shorts. It's a great Pixar short. Yeah. Yeah. Among And that's a competitive field. They're all, they're all at least interesting. But like that's, if someone's making a, a best of list, Bao is up there. Uh, she also co-wrote screenplay with Julia Cho. Yes. Uh, based on a story by Sarah Stryker. Stryker, I don't know how to say her last name. Um, and it is about a uh, a 13-year-old uh, girl in Toronto named uh, Maylin. Voiced by Rosalie Chang. Her mother uh, is voiced by Sandra Oh. And her father is voiced by Orion Lee from First Cow. Yes. And she is turning 13, and she's getting crushes on boys, and she's obsessed with a boy band. It's 2002. Yes. So she's obsessed with a band called Four... Four Town. Four Town, which is basically O-Town. But it's five guys. It is five guys. Um, and Or Backstreet Boys or NSYNC or any other 2002 yeah. boy band. That's all they made in 2002. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and... Uh, and she has three best friends. Yes. And they are a tight little group of kids. And they are sort of hatching a plan to get tickets to go see this boy band, even though Maylin's mother does not approve no. and does not want her to do such a thing. Um, she's a very overprotective uh, mom. To the point where she finds the secret notebook with the doodles about the boy that Maylin has a crush on. And thinks that the boy who is, like, 17... Yeah, like, the the oblivious cashier at the mini-mart. The boy who does not even know this kid's name. Like, the mom thinks that he is sort of, like, you know, got the claws out for her her little girl, uh, goes in and sort of, like, wrings his neck, basically, and... uh, uh, It's a mortifying moment for... for And it's a mortifying moment for uh, the daughter. Uh, furthermore, uh, the mother also, uh, uh, decides that what's really going on is that Maylin is getting her period. <laughs> oh, well, you, you kind of, you, you bury the lead here of what is actually going on. Well, I'm fixing to get to that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, which also mortifies, uh, yes. our heroine. I would say. But what's really going on. No child anywhere wants their mother to show up at their school and yell, you forgot your past. Right. Yeah. 
what's really going on is that when her her budding teenage emotions take over, yes, uh, she turns into a literal gigantic red panda bear. Yes, and it's not in her mind. It's happening, and everyone can see her, and people are alternately terrified and delighted by this uh, turn of events. Her mother explains to her, okay, so let me tell you something about the women in our family. (laughs) We are all, uh, we've all been given this uh, situation, and the way to... uh, make it not just happen randomly is to go through this ceremony with all the other, you know, elder women in the, in the family. And they will like separate uh, you. They will separate you from this, this, uh, uh, I think they, do they call it a curse? I don't know that they call it a curse. I mean, it was, they, they mentioned that it was originally a gift. That it was a, gift. A, it, was a, yeah. it was a it was a matriarchal ancestor who was very close to the red pandas and was yeah. granted this gift. Subsequent generations have been less enamored of it and maybe have referred to it as a curse. But the idea, I mean, they keep saying like, you know, we're going to go through the ceremony and it's going to separate you from your panda. Yeah. But as uh, Malin. Uh, learns to live with her panda, she kind of digs it. Yeah. And the other kids at school like it, and it makes her sort of somebody. Yes. Uh, at school, and that's all I'll tell you, conflict ensues. Uh, you there, know, there's also... Stuff goes down. There's a subcurrent regarding Ming, who is the, 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 the mother here, played by Sandra Oh, her relationship with her own mother. Yes. Uh, and that complication also ties into this whole panda thing uh, and, and how, you know, it each generation sort of deals with it. So, you know, it, it it's a metaphor that operates on a lot of levels. I think, uh, uh, yeah, uh, on one of the levels that it operates on is the idea that, you know, adolescence is when you are beginning to experience all of the very complex stuff that comes with adulthood. Yes. Like yeah. we, we're, we're, when we meet May, she's, she describes herself as being very independent and very much her own person, but comes to understand, oh, wait, I do every single thing my mother tells me all <laughs> yes. the time. Yes. And this is that moment in her life where she begins to chafe against that. I right. want to mention real quick, the grandmother is played by an actress named Ho Wai Ching, who I'm a huge fan of. If you watched the Netflix Marvel shows, yeah. she is Madame Gao, who okay. is like this organized crime figure, who is like this tiny lady of a certain age who is super intimidating. And so I'm a big fan of hers, and I'm psyched that she's in this movie. Um, but anyway, getting back to the, what you were talking about, the metaphor of yes. it all. Um, the idea that, you know, here comes adulthood, and you want it. Your parents might not want it. And no one's ready. Right. Um, and what you have to learn to live with in the world is all of the stuff that's going to, all of the stuff that you're going to become. Yes. You will have to process that and learn to live with it. And that's, you know, in the specificity is the universal. Yeah, exactly. As we say all the time. Uh, Having said all that, it is delightfully animated. It is moving and sweet 
Uh, it doesn't drag at all. There are, you know, lively, uh, well-thought-out characters across the board. Everyone has a reason to be there. Yeah, her pack um, of friends is great. Her pack of friends is great. It looks cool. Um, there's an anime influence in a lot of the uh, of the animation. Um, and I just really dig this movie. Uh, uh, so thank you, Encanto, for, and Luca, for <laughs> reminding me that I'm not tired of Disney and Pixar animated films yet, no. as long as they uh, are not boring like Onward. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they, they've yeah. been on a bit of a roll here, which is exciting. This is one of, this is the rare American movie that I would say, you know what? This would make a terrific double feature with Spirited Away. No. Oh. Which is also about a young girl. Thematically, yeah. Yeah, kind of coming to understand herself and, and her capabilities. Um, yeah, I, you know, we are not parents and never will be, but I think that what I, the, the feeling that this movie gave me was like, just remembering my own, you know, turbulent adolescence and how thoroughly obnoxious I was for most of it. Um, <laughs> you know, parents have to have to understand that, like, their darling child is going to become this just like awful monster for a while, and then the relationship has to be okay through that and after that. But they're not always going to be an awful monster. No, exactly. There will just be moments of awful monstrosity. Exactly. Yeah. But I'm yeah. just saying, you have to get through that period, and then also you have to get past that period if you want to continue to have a relationship. And so, like, this winds up being as much about Ming's mother figuring out yeah. stuff as much as it is about, about, uh, about uh, not Ming, uh, Ming is the mother, May's mother, and May yes. herself, you know, figuring out where the panda is going to operate in her life. Yeah, I love this. It's, it's, it's really, it's, it's, Pretty wonderful, yeah. Um, and it's only streaming on Disney Disney Plus. Plus yes, I know it's playing. Uh, at if least you live in LA, you can see it at the El Cap. One week, week at the El Cap in a theater here in town. Yeah. Um, I read somewhere that the reason that let me tell you about some seats that'll kill oof, you. Yeah, that's an old. <laughs> theater. It's a really old theater, and they've renovated it very well. But those seats are still, still really deadly, yeah. tiny and uncomfortable i read somewhere that disney is at the moment putting the pixar stuff on disney plus because pixar overall has this incredible box office record among studios and they would just as soon wait until everything's back to close to 100 percent right. as opposed to tossing them out there and you know getting bringing in less i understand that And also what's new this week is After Yang. Yes. From Kogonada. Mm -hmm. One word. Yes. Did you get around to Columbus or no? One name. No. Oh, I but think. You have seen Columbus. Yeah, I think you will love Columbus. Um, I, uh, I am, first of all, no spoilers, but After Yang is really great. <laughs> yes. And, um, and I'm fascinated by. Kogonada and his uh, uh, his lack of detail about himself. Do, oh, is he, a, is he a mystery? I don't. He's really a know. kind of he's a mystery. Oh, nice. Um, we don't have enough of those. His name is not his name. Okay. Um, his name is 
uh, a heteronym. Okay. Yeah. Where it's not a pen name, it's a, a like a character that he has created. Okay. Um, uh, based on, uh, and and his name is based on the name of uh, the screenwriter who worked on a lot of films with Ozu. Oh. Yeah. I've always thought there was, a, I've always wanted to connect his films with Ozu's and now I have an excuse. He is Korean and he just doesn't want anyone to know anything about himself. Um, he will uh, appear at screenings mm-hmm. of the films. I don't know that he gives interviews, mm. but he basically, he may, I, I haven't looked that up, but what I do know is that he, very little is known about him. He wants, uh, the he wants his work to be his work and that to be what people know about him, cool. which I find fascinating because no one does that anymore. No. And so I, uh, based on that and based on uh, this film, I've definitely got to go watch Columbus now. Um, he, uh, he wrote the screenplay. It's based on a short story from Alexander Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, the name of the story is Saying Goodbye to Yang. The film stars Colin Farrell, Jodie Turner-Smith, and as their daughter, a, uh, a child named... Her name is Malaya Emma Jandrawaja. Thank you for pronouncing that because I've been... Sorry, J- sorry, Jandrawajaya. Okay. I've been, I've been consulting the internet... All day, trying to get it right, and I and I I'm I'm going to have to do some practicing. Yeah, this yeah. is the third uh, podcast that I've talked about this movie now, so I've I've gotten okay at it. But um, the uh, and Justin H. Min and Justin H. Min as Yang. Yes. So uh, you may remember Jodie Turner Smith if you saw Queen and Slim. Or if you saw those lovely little <laughs> Christmas commercials that she made with her husband Joshua Jackson for J Crew for J Crew earlier, uh, like late in 2021. Yeah. Um, so she and Colin Farrell uh, are a couple, and they live in the future, but we don't know what year. We don't yeah. know how far into the future it is. We know enough based on the details of the story. Uh, that that it is it is at least the twenty first century. Yes, well into the twenty first century. Clearly, um, and it is at least enough in the future that the character uh, played by Sarita Chowdhury, who is a uh, museum uh, researcher who studies what is referred to in the film as techno sapiens, basically yes. uh, 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 androids. Yeah. And she says, "I've studied, I've studied, and I've studied Techno Sapiens my entire life." Hmm. And she is what, like our age? Our age, yeah. yeah. So that's all we get. Yeah, we understand that in the future, this particular future, that a variety of external things are happening. Um, you can uh, clone human beings. Mm-hmm. You can have children who are clones, if you would like. You can uh, uh, buy 
an android to basically be a, a nanny, an assistant, a sibling, whatever you like. Uh, and so in this case, uh, Colin Farrell and Jody Turner-Smith have adopted uh, a baby from China. And they decide that they're going to buy uh, a techno-sapien who is also programmed to be uh, Chinese and who will teach their daughter about Chinese culture and will teach her to speak Mandarin as well. This universe also has uh, cars that seem to be driverless and that might glide on the air. We don't quite know. Uh, because they're always inside these very quietly moving, gliding vehicles. Right. There is a, at least in the with for Colin Farrell and his family, and and in other places in the in this world as well, uh, a definite sort of um, Japanese and Chinese style influence in terms of how people dress and architecture, uh, in the way that like uh, a Clockwork Orange posits a world in which everybody's slang is based in Russian right. here. Everybody's like, you know, sort of jumpsuits or, 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 you know, the way that the, that their houses are all like sliding doors and stuff, you know, implies various Asian influences. Yes. But nothing specific. Right. Just a variety. Yeah. Um, yeah. And all of this is presented without politics. Yes. The only thing we get, in by way of anyone's political uh, affiliation, is Colin Farrell is a bigot about clones. clones. Yes. We don't know why. He claims that he isn't, but he clearly is. Yes. And there's another character who fixes... Uh, yeah, I was going to say, who's a conspiracy uh, theorist. Technosapiens, <laughs> who looks like he could be in 1980s America. Yeah. Um, his environment is very much... Uh, sort of a ramshackle garage workshop kind of place. And he himself appears to be openly racist and is also a conspiracy theorist. He reminds me of... Conspiracy theorist. Who's the guy on King of the Hill who's always talking about black helicopters? <laughs> uh, 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 oh, God. Dale. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, the uh, So into this world, we have... This happy family and Yang, who is a part of their family. He is the older brother. He is a robot. And in the opening credits, which are a complete and total trick. Oh. <laughs> in the opening credits, we learn that Yang is now beginning to malfunction. Yes. Um, I'll tell you something. If you watch the opening credits and think you're about to get one kind of movie, you are so wrong. Yeah, those opening credits kind of wander in from like a Gaspar Noe film and then wander <laughs> right back out again. <laughs> but they're great. Yang begins to malfunction uh, and they take him to a variety of places to, uh, to try to get him fixed. Because... The daughter, Mika, is the character's name. She's extremely attached to Yang. And the yes. reason she is extremely attached to Yang is because her parents are very busy. Yeah. <laughs> and they have sort of uh, 
farmed out the raising of their child yeah. to Yang, who is a very good uh, de facto parent and big brother, but his absence, his immediate absence, is acutely felt by the child. Yeah. And the other members of the family as well. They are. They miss him too, but they're mostly concerned with the fact that the kid is freaking out <laughs> well, yeah. that Yang is gone. Um, they learn that there's a core malfunction that has to do with uh, something that actually shouldn't be inside Yang. Right. It's spyware, but it's more than spyware. It is memory software, where basically Yang is artificial intelligence and is developing his own emotional life and and recording his own memories. And when they retrieve that core bit of software from him and begin to look at his memories... We start learning a lot of things. Yes. Now, I don't want to provoke any anxiety in anybody. None of it is hideous stuff. It no. is it is all stuff emotional based, based in emotions. Um, but it's emotional content that they're not they aren't ready for it yeah. and they didn't know that the technosapiens were capable of it. That technosapiens were capable of it, and they also didn't know who had Yang before them. Yes. Because they bought him as a, a refurb. <laughs> and so I love a movie that is 85% suggestion and mystery. That's completely what we get here. When I said there's no politics on display, there are only enough to suggest that in spite of the very beautiful surroundings that they live in, their home is gorgeous. Um, they have serene, peaceful lives. They all love each other. In spite of this, there's a world outside that doesn't feel quite right. Yeah, that's fair. And they have sort of cocooned themselves against it. And the opening up, literally and figuratively, of Yang and his consciousness right brings them uncomfortably into other lives that they don't necessarily think they want to be a part of and if they do they have to make peace with that stuff yeah i mean like you know the the colin farrell character for instance owns a tea shop and the first time that we see someone walk in they ask for something called tea crystals he's like i don't i don't do that yeah this is this is the old the old kind and and so like there's already that sense of like he is not, you know, up to the latest and greatest when it comes to by choice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. By in, in this world that seems very tech driven, he's kind of you know, and that uh, is presumably where his dislike of clones comes in. Right. Like he's very considers himself sort of a purist about this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but it's, not so much of a purist that he won't buy an almost human being. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it's again none of this stuff is sort of stated. It's all just kind of there. Yeah. This is a movie that absolutely I think I will be watching multiple times. Yes. Because there's just there's so many subtle things going on and I've just been thinking about it nonstop since watching it last week and I've been talking like I said this is the third podcast I've talked about it and every conversation I've had has sort of opened up new and different um, things about it you know definitely check out Max Film this week I think we had a really great uh, thing about it but yeah it, it's 
It is. It, it, it deals with so many things about technology, about families, about grief, about what it is to be Asian. The the woman who's the guest on Max Film this week actually wrote a piece about, uh, you know, there's a line in the film where Yang talks about how, like, he knows all these facts about China, but he doesn't know if he's even really Asian or not. Right. You know, and she talks about how that's such a, that's a common feeling throughout the diaspora. You know, and so, but then you've got like Colin Farrell selling tea and eating ramen, and what's his deal? You know, right, so there's, right. a, there's this movie throws a lot out on the table, and then just very quietly allows you to sort through it. And so much, as is the case with any good film, <laughs> the filmmaking itself is so full of sort of hard and soft surfaces that suggest a lot of unspoken tensions. Mm. Um, there's a lot of shadow in the lighting uh, and in each frame. Um, there is, you know, uh, quiet where there might otherwise be noise. There there's is, a lot of quiet. There's a lot of quiet. Um, and there is, as you said, uh, you know, a visual sort of I don't want to say melancholy, but it it touches that. Yeah. Um, that is about what do you do when someone is suddenly gone? What do you do with your loss? You know, how do you live with that? And how do you substitute for it? Which might be, again, going back to the idea of clones, how do you make that come back? Sure, because you need it so desperately. Yeah, um, which then which also ties into the whole notion about memories and yeah. why like it's so unusual that these uh, techno sapiens even have them, uh, but that obviously for Yang they were very important, and he was willing to ultimately sacrifice himself to have them. Right, right, um, and just a little shout out to Sarita Chowdhury who. <sighs> is not in the movie a lot, but she <laughs> she has a very distinct purpose for being there. Mm. And uh, uh, quite like, uh, you know, her appearance on, uh, and just like that, where she runs off with every scene she's in. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was saying last night, like between, between after Yang and just like that, and that we're getting a criterion of... Uh, of Mississippi Masala in the next few months. Well, like, 2022 is her year then, yes, isn't it? Yeah. It's a Sarita Chowdhury moment. Um, I really, really like this film, and I also want to watch it again because it is... It, 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 it occasionally even stutters like a glitchy tech thing that doesn't work right, you know? Um... Well, and it'll show you like these moments you know, as he's combing through the memories. You'll see the same moments, the way that Colin Farrell saw yes. them, and the way that Yang saw them, and yes. not in an overbearing way. But there are little, there are subtleties that are yes. to be mined there. You know. So, where's where where is it, it playing? It is in theaters. It, it is, is also on Showtime. Okay. A twenty four has this thing for some of their movies. They did it with the Humans last November, uh, and now with this one. So if you have if you are still a cable person or you have access to Showtime anytime, you can watch it there or uh, it is released in theaters. Got some letters. Yes. Got three. We talked about three movies. That's enough. Yeah. It's plenty. 
Got some letters. Going to pull them up. Opening we... my email. <laughs> Here they are. This is good radio. Get ready. <laughs> Listen, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you're not, you know. Ready? Yeah. Robert Kirby says, Dave White, of course you were a Harry of the Spy fanatic as a kid. <laughs> Me too. I originally hated the movie, but upon a 2019 rewatch, I figured, okay, whatever, it's not so bad. <laughs> also, thank you for the reference to Dream Kitchen by Frasier Chorus. I will always love a Frasier Chorus reference. <laughs> I, a band you introduced me to. I'm I, glad you did. I uh, don't understand anyone who doesn't love Harriet the Spy. Yeah. And if you haven't read it, if you missed reading it as a child, go ahead and read, read it as, it as an adult. adult. Yeah. You'll really like it. And then read and, The Long Secret. Which is where you learn that Harriet is a complete a-hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, The Long Secret is the Matrix Resurrections of Harriet the Spy. <laughs> uh, Aaron says, My constant complaint about NPR's weekend news is that half the stories are, this band made a movie. <laughs> Too bad this one sounds less like rock and roll high school than the ghost in the invisible bikini. <laughs> he is referring to Studio, Studio 666, 666, of course. And Linda uh, says, regarding hated adaptations of loved works, the Jungle Books were my foundational literature in my childhood, and any adaptations I've seen completely missed the point. Wait, what about the Disney cartoon? I believe she's of including 1967 that. with, you know, uh, the dancing uh, the ragtag. I want to be like and you. And the balloon. The bare necessities. Yeah. yeah, I think she's including that. The stories are not fun and not cute, and Mowgli going back to live with humans does not end well for anyone, including the humans. As a 10-year-old, I was appalled at <laughs> Disney's adaptation, and looking back, that's probably what fueled my adult mistrust of movies made from books I care about. There have been very few good experiences. <laughs> so Linda's we'll here to throw down for Rudyard Kipling, everybody. <laughs> I was. We've talked about this, but that was one of the first films I saw at a theater. I think it was one of mine too. Uh, I mean, but was, but in like for like the in the reissue in like seventy two. No, something. this was nineteen sixty seven, early nineteen sixty eight, and my dad uh, took me, and that's the one where I freaked out. Oh, you in saw the, the lobby poster of the for theater. the whatever that the, was. The power. The power. The poster for the film, the schlocky uh, film, The Power, which has a frightening poster. Yeah, no, great poster. And I was a toddler, movie. and I lost my. And could not be consoled. And it was, he had to like cover my eyes and carry me past it all the way up the stairs to the box office. And then we saw the Jungle Book. But it was weirdly, I remember it. That's one of my earliest memories. Funny. Yeah. I was too young to have read Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book. And therefore, and I still never have. And, uh, <laughs> and therefore, Give me a singing, dancing uh, <laughs> snake, snake and bear and orangutan. I uh, I I once I, I at Disneyland they have a thing where it's like you know which Disney villain are you quiz and I wound up with Shere Khan and I was like yeah I'll take it. <laughs> um, I I don't know which one I would be, but you know no, you're such an Ursula. <laughs> Do you think? I don't know. Am I an Ursula? I don't know. I would like to, I would, you know, if it were me, of course, 
you choose, if you're going to choose for yourself, you always choose Maleficent. Well, sure, but no, this asked you questions and then it told you. Oh. It, was like a, it was like taking a BuzzFeed quiz. I see. All right. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Uh, I, and real quick, I want to throw out a, a, a DVD pick. Uh, this week is the Blu-ray release of the 4K restoration of Joan Micklin Silver's Hester Street. We reviewed that earlier this year when the theatrical uh, reissue happened. If you're a member of our Patreon at patreon.com slash linoleum knife, um, you heard our discussion of Joan Micklin Silver's Crossing Delancey as part of Linoleum Knife Presents More Linoleum Knife, one of the several uh, uh, added shows that we have for our subscribers that's the one where we talk about movies in depth for uh for a, a short episode we also have lktv a podcast on television linoleum knife and fork a food podcast hosted by two film critics and linoleum nights where we just talk about whatever we want uh but anyway cohen media group put out the blu-ray for hester street this week pick that up uh are we done is that it cat casserole Okay, well, let me just do the things Casserole. real quick. Check out my other podcasts, Maximum Film, Breakfast All Day, and Deck the Hallmark. Um, follow us at uh, Linoleum Cast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Subscribe to the show at uh, Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review there. We will read it on the air. You can also leave us positive feedback in the many places that we stream, including uh, Stitcher Radio, thelounge.com, um, uh, Pandora, uh, uh, Spotify, Spotify. Um, I'm forgetting them, but you know, those. Uh, and uh, floop. Exactly. Drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com. We will be doing a mailbag catch-up episode soon. And uh, until next time. Casserole.